Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. ABHA members, before we dig into today's episode, I want to remind you that according to the ABHA powers that be, those electronic ballots for the new board of directors are supposed to be in your email inboxes this week. The growth of the ABHA has been awesome, and we're sitting in a ready position to take off, but it's going to take strong leadership that's willing to stay vigilant and active. It's going to take an effort to gain acceptance in cow country and across this great industry. I encourage you to vote and get involved. All right, now I'll introduce you to today's guest. Dr. Julia Herman was kind enough to take a break from her insane schedule to sit down and talk to us about the Beef Quality Assurance Program, preventative medicine in cattle, and a few timely issues like anthrax and heat stress. She mentioned a lot of resources during our conversation, so be sure to check the show description for links to those. One of the most important things Dr. Herman talked about was the value of building your team of experts. Sometimes it takes a humbling experience, like moving your cows 600 miles to a totally different environment, to admit that you don't know everything and could use some help. But it shouldn't. It shouldn't take that. If there's anything I hope we can all get out of this interview, it's that it's okay to ask for help and vital to build a team around you. Let's dig in. So I have a really interesting guest here on the Black Herford Chronicles today that I am super excited. She's got a ton of knowledge that I think all of us are going to find super valuable, super informative. So rather than um, get it all wrong, Julia, why don't you go ahead and kind of tell everybody who you are and what you do? Thanks, Jen. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. This is a neat opportunity. And my name is Dr. Julia Herman, and I am the Beef Cattle Specialist Veterinarian with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And I lead education development on our producer education team. And much of that comes through our Beef Quality Assurance Program, or BQA, as many of you may have heard about. So I have the privilege of getting to talk to producers like you all and also connecting to the veterinary world. So I do a lot of veterinary outreach to organizations and really trying to connect the beef industry to the veterinary world, make sure we're all on the same page and we're collaborating across those realms. So uh, a lot of my focus um, is in preventive medicine. So like just a lot of activities that we can do to start our cows off on the right cows and calves off on the right foot. And then really, um, I guess, nurture them throughout their life through a variety of, uh, a variety of ways. But, uh, it's been, I've been here for almost three years and it's been, uh, it's been a pretty fun ride. Well, that has to be getting a little bit trickier, right? We keep hearing that there's a shortage of veterinarians or large animal anyway. Yes. Yeah. I would imagine. yeah, it's a it, it it can be complicated. I mean, I I grew up in rural Colorado, and uh, I know that there are from practicing veterinarians there's a shortage. But then when you go into, I consider myself a non clinical uh, position, and even in our non clinical position, so like USDA, 
State Department of Health, State Department of Agriculture. We're actually looking for a lot of veterinarians on in those in uh, those areas too. So yeah, um, we're we're really interested to anybody who's willing to help the the livestock and ag industries from a veterinary perspective and every aspect that we can. Ah, okay. Well, let's start with the BQA stuff. What exactly is BQA? And then um, more importantly, why does it matter? Oh, good question. So beef quality assurance, uh, my one of my colleagues, she explained it well, it's assuring the quality of beef. And so this program was set, is set into stone over 30 years ago. We've been around for quite a long time. And it initially started as uh, to try to prevent injection site lesions going into expensive cuts of meat, like the round, uh, chuck, anything like that, those higher end products that our producers rely on because they're, they're getting paid for that high quality product. And so initially it started as, uh, reducing both injection site lesions and then residues, or, uh, if somebody, uh, if somebody gives a medication, there's a withdrawal time that needs to be followed. And so that's from the time that it was, it was given to the time that the, the body metabolizes that drug and, and the residue levels are below a safety level. And so residues were not controlled as well as they are now. But, um, so those are the two main reasons BQA started, but really BQA's really evolved into a, we call it a total quality management program. And so we really, we have guidelines on everything from nutrition to choosing how, or to helping with uh, pasture management, to helping develop your herd health plan with your veterinarian. So we, it's a, uh, looking at the entire system and how we can make small steps in moving moving in the right direction by improving animal welfare, improving human safety, and also improving the quality of that product. Well, and is there a certification process associated with that? Yeah. So BQA, uh, we have two ways that you can get certified depending on what state you're in. Uh, we have state coordinators across the country who run those programs and do training, in-person trainings where you can get certified. You can also go to bqa.org and we have online certification modules uh, available 24 uh, seven. Granted, if you have good internet, I know that's an issue for some people, but um, the, we have a few different few different modules, online modules. We have a cow-calf specific, uh, stalker backgrounder specific, and then a feedlot specific. We also have a separate training program for transporters, so BQA transportation. And so anybody who's involved with, uh, you know, maybe you maybe Logan gets contracted by the neighbor to, to take uh, cows to the sale barn or something like that. He can go and get certified in trans in the transporter realm. And then that's all of this together. When we put all these certifications together, uh, this really shows the beef or the, the cattle industry's commitment to quality animal care uh, from pasture plate because we we really work BQA works with everybody from our producers all the way to veterinarians to the supply chain so BQA is um, it's nationally recognized as the program to uh, to be certified in but it's also recognized in an international basis um, our animal welfare guidelines are 
uh, internationally recognized by the World Organization for Animal Health. We are one of a couple livestock programs in the U.S. who have that designation. And so it really is a commitment to animal welfare, and it shows everybody outside of our industry that we are all on the same page when it comes to taking care of our animals. Well, and I think there's, depending on what state you live in, there's some other bad benefits as well. In Nebraska, when we first moved here, we were approached by one of the uh, USDA people out here, and they have a whole biosecurity program, a farm biosecurity program that you can get certified in. And part of that is BQA. Yep. And then if there is a catastrophic event where transportation is shut down, supply line is shut down, the people who have achieved that status are the first ones allowed to open back up and to begin transporting those animals, whether it's to the processor or wherever. Yep. Again, so there really are some long-term benefits. And then, you know, additionally, when you're selling calves, all those little things that you can have checkmarked next to your ranch, as long as you're marketing that correctly, you can see some added premiums. If, if you can get those repeat buyers that know that you know what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, uh, I think, well, every, uh, everything we talked about, like the nutrition part, stockmanship is huge. If you're training those calves as cat or, you know, when they're little to be, um, to be handled, uh, so that they're handled in a low stress manner that benefits those animals for the rest of their life. And so, uh, whether you retain ownership of your calves or you end up selling them to the next sector, your ca- those calves are going to be set for, you know, they're going to really, um, I guess, be prepared to perform, if you will. And uh, I mean, from an auction standpoint, CSU, it it was a study that CSU did, and they looked at, uh, they looked at online video marketing of calves. And they found that uh, if you had that BQA certification within the description of that animal, I think it was uh, a little, it was either right at $2 or a little bit over $2 per hundred weight benefit to showing and demonstrating that you were BQA certified. And so there is a financial component and it also, uh, it also comes down to just the well-being of our animals. So we're taking care of them while they're in your possession, you're taking the best care that you can. And we're, we're trying to provide those guidelines for you. Well, and even from a seed stock perspective, you know, if I'm out there buying bowls and I know that a place is BQA certified, that just indicates to me right off the bat that they take it seriously. And we've talked on this program a lot about how in seed stock, you're not just selling a bowl, you're selling your entire program. And that's another piece of showing that your program is serious and that your program is doing things correctly. So for people listening, if you aren't familiar with BQA, I would definitely recommend that you take a peek at that. Do you have to be an NCBA member to participate in that? No, this is, this is open to anybody and everybody. So if you, uh, If you are just getting into the cattle business and you have five head uh, that you're starting your herd with, uh, you're able to do it. Um, That goes all the way up to, I mean, all of our feed yards are, or not all of our feed yards, a lot of our our feed yards are BQA certified. I mean, uh, all of those, uh, our BQA winner from last year is over 100,000 head. So we really have something for everybody. And I even have... um, I even have friends who are just interested in what the beef industry has to offer and they'll go get BQA certified because they just want to learn more. So it really is, uh, we're open to everybody and anybody who wants to, to check out the program. So where can people find out more about that? 
All of it's on our website, bqa.org. And that's, uh, there is a tab where you can go find uh, your in-state state coordinator if you want to connect with them for an in-state event, or you can go straight to our online services. We also have a really great resources page with everything from the biosecurity plan that uh, Jen mentioned earlier to assessments for your farm. Uh, we have a VCPR, so that veterinary client veterinarian client patient relationship form that everybody should have. We have uh, examples of that. Uh, so we have a lot of great resources uh, on the website that are hopefully easy to find. Will you talk a little bit more about that veterinary client form? That's, I was going to bring it up later, but since you just oh, mentioned it, I think that's <laughs> becoming more and more important. So will you absolutely highlight what that is and why people might need that? Yeah, so the, the Veterinarian Client Patient Relationship Form, or VCPR, is a written, or it's a formal agreement between the, the cattle producer, the livestock producer, to be honest, the livestock producer and uh, their veterinarian. And this uh, designates a few different things. It means that the, the veterinarian is, uh, they know about your operation, they know about how it works. Uh, it says that the client or the producer um, will follow what the veterinarian says. And it really sets that veterinarian as the veterinarian on record. And so if you need advice for treatment or prescription medications, you need that VCPR to make sure that you get those medications. Uh, the, that is required by the, the Food and Drug Administration. That's not, um, that's not designated by like veterinary medicine. That's, that's what the FDA tells us we need. If we have prescription medications or um, if... Uh, many people might put uh, there's medication that goes into the feed. The, so those uh, those require a veterinary feed directive, which absolutely require a VCPR. And so there's a lot of aspects about treating your animals that require veterinarian oversight uh, of those medications. And so um, highly recommend anybody getting into the cattle business, anyone, I mean, honestly, anybody with a pet, anybody uh, that has an animal under their under their care, have a really good relationship with a veterinarian. Cause I mean, that's what we're here for. I mean, we, uh, we're here to make sure those animals are being well taken care of. We want to provide you the best advice based on what your operations goals are. And, uh, the VCPR is that first step to getting that. Well, in the list of medications that are required to have veterinarian backing it up, is getting longer. I mean, I saw the ones that'll come into effect next includes even like the sulfa boluses that we give for scours, you know? Yep. So having that on hand and having that relationship is going to be more important than it has. Absolutely. Yeah. The FDA's uh, guidance, it's 263. That's coming into effect uh, this fall into next year. And so, yeah, a lot of those over-the-counter antibiotics that we are used to getting, so like your oxytetracyclines, your sulfas, uh, penicillin, those are all going to go under veterinary oversight. You will need a prescription for those. And so if you, um, if those are tools that you like to have in your toolbox, you have to have that veterinarian on board. Absolutely. So for anyone listening, I will link to the BQA website in the show notes on this episode. That way, if you didn't catch it, just hop onto the show notes and we'll get you over there. So Julia, you recently completed a board certification in preventative medicine, right? Tell me yes. about what that looks like in cattle. Because when I think preventative medicine, you know, I'm usually thinking like my kids having to go get their shots. Oh, absolutely. So what and does so that look like for cattle? Yeah. 
very similar, honestly. So yeah, uh, board certification in veterinary medicine, that's just a I, it's it's an extra learning platform that where people go and do uh, specialized areas of study. And that certification says that, uh, you know, I've done the work I've, I've you know, I have uh, I guess it's proof that I've done all this studying and uh, application of these different principles. And so preventive medicine covers a lot of different things, at least the the certification does. And it really applies to a lot of what I do in my job anyway. So food safety. So we talked about injection site lesions and residues that goes, that applies directly to food safety and preparing your, preparing your product appropriately so that, so that humans don't get sick, public health. So that comes with vaccination programs for your herd uh, to make sure that they're not spreading disease within their herd, but also not spreading disease to humans. So zoonotic risks, uh, environmental health, making sure we're taking care of the pastures and everything uh, that our cattle are on. Uh, infectious disease, all of our, you know, bovine respiratory disease pathogens, uh, trying to re- trying to identify those quickly, treat the animals as quickly as possible so that the effects of those diseases don't uh, Im- impact their productivity. Uh, and then epidemiology, so studying how disease moves in populations. And so all of these really apply to everything that a large animal veterinarian does, but it also applies to what you as a producer do- does. So um, preventive medicine is uh, when I think about it in a cattle in a cattle operation, uh, it starts with taking care of those cows when they're pregnant. So you're making sure they have a really uh, great nutrition program throughout their pregnancy, so that that calf is developing uh, a strong immune system, uh, growth factors or growth character characteristics that they can that you can I guess. Uh, really help them once they're on the ground, um, vaccinations to those mama, those mama cows so that they can, uh, develop, or they can put the the antigens to those, um, vaccinations into the colostrum. So when the baby is out, they drink that first milk that, uh, highly nutritious. It has antibodies in there. Um, getting that, that's another great first step for that calf to get off the ground. Um, we talked about low stress handling. So low stress handling the calves when, when they're on the ground, when they're branding, um, uh, one low stress, uh, one low stress technique and preventive technique that I really like with calves is basically you separate calves and mamas, um, the day or two, like the day before you're going to process or brand them. And you let the calves run through that system by themselves and without any, without any, uh, no human is there to interact with them and it imprints on them that they can go through that system and nothing's going to happen to them. And so it provides a really good experience for them. The first time they go through that shoot, the next time they go through that shoot, they're not as scared. They're able to go through the flow is a lot better. Um, so that's a really great preventive thing because again, you imprint that calf the first time it goes through the shoot, every single time that calf goes through that shoot for the rest of its life it has that positive experience to start with. Well, um, there's nothing worse than a shoot soured cow. So, oh, it, I mean, it's, it, it becomes, it, it, I keep going back to human safety. It comes back. It, I mean, that's, that, that can be a human safety issue. And so preventive medicine also plays into preventing humans from getting hurt too. But um, I think the, another thing, like having a vaccine 
uh, schedule with, that you develop, develop with your veterinarian. I think that's probably like the foundation of a lot of our preventive medicine is really understanding what vaccines we need to be using, when we need to give it, and making sure we're giving that maximum benefit to those calves. Um, so I mean, preventive medicine really applies to anything that you do on your cattle operation. How much of a factor is your location and your regionality going to play on what your vaccine protocol is? Like, is my vaccine protocol going to look similar to somebody down in, say, Tennessee? Great question. And the answer is uh, regionality, I mean, is is huge. And that's that's another reason why having a local veterinarian on your team is really important, because I know like I, I know what what. Uh, cattle herds in Eastern Colorado and Northern Colorado probably need. If I go down to say Tennessee, where one of my friends practices, I am, uh, I know some of the things that they need to be paying attention to, but I don't know it as, as, uh, uh, as in depth as they do. So yes, regionality plays a huge role, um, especially when it comes to, uh, like parasites. So, um, worms in, in more humid places are going to need different treatment protocols than in drier climates, like out here in the West. Uh, anaplasmosis is another uh, huge issue. I guess it's it's becoming more widespread across the U.S. as um, our mosquitoes and, uh, uh, well, uh, our vectors, so our mosquitoes and ticks start invading uh, areas where they haven't previously, but anaplasmosis is a bloodborne uh, disease that's spread by, um, that's spread by ticks. Generally, we thought it thought about it as a Southeast issue, but uh, I learned last or in the last couple of weeks that California has anaplas and they've been dealing with it. So um, I think it's very important to work with extension agents, veterinarians, nutritionists specific to your region, because they're going to know what uh, what risks you have, but then also um, what resources are available, especially on the nutrition side. Well, and I know I've seen some guys kind of complain that they don't like to bring their vet in on those conversations because they think they're going to sell them a program of vaccines that maybe isn't necessary. And I'll tell you, as somebody who's had to find a new vet because we moved, that has not been our experience at all. You know, they're they go into that because they love the livestock because they want to work with the ranchers. Just reach That's out. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you uh, that you had that experience. I think, um, regardless of what role you have in the in the cattle industry, whether you're the producer, the nutritionist, uh, the veterinarian, I think I think bottom line is we all want to take care of our cattle the best that we can, and we and we all know that. I mean, we're all uh, I don't want to we're stressed on resources. Um, especially right now, uh, right now, uh, I think everybody understands that. And so, um, I think that's where the collaboration really show, shines in the ag industry. And, uh, as I've, we've been talking about this preventive medicine, I think we're, uh, I was just at a veterinary conference this weekend and everything we talked about was how do we keep these cattle from getting sick? Like, we don't, we don't want to sell you multiple treatment. Like we don't want you to have a pink eye outbreak and make money on, you know, providing antibiotic for a pink eye outbreak. We want to do everything we can to prevent those animals from getting that in the first place. So we're going to make sure your mineral program is up to speed so that you're immune, that those cows immune systems are good. We want you to 
uh, rotational graze so that you're keeping the keeping that grass at a certain length so that it decreases uh, like scratches on the eye that could lead to pink eye. Uh, we're going to incorporate probably some fly tags to prevent flies from getting to the eyes. We're maybe doing a feed through uh, insecticide. So there's all these different ways that we can be preventing those cattle from getting to that treatment. And I think that's that's where your veterinarian comes in. in. Uh, it can be a really a really valuable tool. Um, we certainly like if you have an emergency and you want to if and you need to contact us. Like if you have a pink eye outbreak like that, we're going to come and help you. But the next step is going to be how do we prevent this ne the next time? And so um, working with your veterinarian as early in the process to try to to try to prevent all that. That's our goal. And so hopefully that's what you see us as a resource for. So there's been some news kind of from your neck of the woods that's hit lately that I was wondering if you'd kind of touch on a little bit. There's been some anthrax. Yes. <laughs> so what what is that? Because I think a lot of people hear anthrax and they think of like, you know, senators getting envelopes with sketchy powder in them. They don't necessarily connect it to livestock. Yeah. So anthrax is, uh, it's so interesting that you bring that up because, um, we, we definitely talked about that this weekend in that vet conference that I talked about, but, uh, anthrax is a bacteria and it's naturally in the soil already. And so, um, what happens is the perfect situation comes and this, uh, Anthrax survives in the soil by being in spores. And so they're really environmentally hardy and it just takes the exact right temperature and humidity uh, to, to really, I guess, to explode and start and start growing. And so the soil, um, the soil environment uh, needs to be a little bit neutral or I guess they, they call it slightly alkaline pH. So uh, what happens is an environmental stressor initiates this spore activity. And um, so like heavy rains actually precedes a lot of our anthrax outbreaks. And so uh, Colorado, I mean, last night in, I live in Northern Colorado and we had uh, God, like our gutters were full within I'd say five to 15 minutes, like just this huge gusher. And so when you have rains like that come through these soils with anthrax in it, it disturbs that soil, brings those spores to the surface. And uh, what ends up happening is those cattle, as they're coming through and grazing, the spores are available uh, more at the surface level and they consume those. Uh, anthrax thrives in a non uh or an anaerobic environment, so no oxygen. So once that spore gets ingested, there's no oxygen in the system and that's when it starts wreaking havoc. And so that's why you get these random outbreaks uh, of you know five to 10 cattle um, all in this one area, generally in a, in a dried riverbed. Um, and that's, that's how anthrax occurs in livestock herds. There are a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of states that deal with anthrax on a yearly basis. So when you get up into the Dakotas or down in Texas, uh, there's actually a vaccine you can use to, to an anthrax vaccine that you can use on your animals. Um, but in uh, Colorado, where this recently happened, that's not something we generally think about. It's definitely a random, random event that you can't really prevent. So yeah, it's a, um, it's the same excuse me, the same disease that occurs like in that situation that you at, that you talked about 
uh, when anthrax went through the USPS system, the US Postal Service, mm-hmm. but um, it it's a, it's in the soil everywhere, and it just takes really specific environmental uh, conditions to bring up and uh, to come up and wreak havoc on your cattle herd. So, is it communicable once a cow has ingested it? It can be. So, anthrax once it gets into a cow, it's generally um, it, it's 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 fatal to to the animal. Uh, and so, if you go out, this is where uh, zoonotic disease comes into. So, the disease can transmit from that carcass to whoever's cutting that or moving that animal. Um, so if, if veterinarians, if we go out to investigate this and have to do a necropsy and cut that animal open, there are some certain signs we look for in an anthrax animal uh, where we're like, this is what we suspect. We're going to take a couple samples, not open it, because if you open it up, the spores come out. So uh, we're trained to look at those signs and try to make sure that we don't uh, cause more cause more harm by opening up that animal and trying to do a necropsy than uh, if we were to leave it. Most carcasses, if they are, if we do find out that they are anthrax infected, we bury them. So we bury them deep enough so that, uh, that they can't get back. Those spores can't get back up to the surface. So. This episode has an exciting new sponsor, Cattle Tracks. Cattle Tracks is a low cost, non-invasive way to track the movement of cattle all with a cell phone app. This is such a neat way of combining the traceability that our industry needs, the data collection that seed stock operators need, and new technology. If you haven't checked them out, I highly encourage you to take a gander. Visit www.cattletracks.com to learn more. We're also sponsored by HI slash Cattle Company raising registered Angus and Black Hereford cattle with a mind for the future of the beef industry. You can find them on Facebook or at HISLASHcattle.com. So then one other one that we've had (laughs) a lot in the news lately that I would love to hear about preventative sides of it is heat stress. I think it's it's been hot everywhere. We've been, we hit 108 where I'm at. Yeah. And I keep thinking, I thought we moved farther north. What, how is this a thing? And everyone says, you know, this is unusual down in Kansas. I know they've had weeks and weeks of triple digits. And then, you know, we had the feedlots that got hit so hard and lost so many cattle. Oh, tragic. So what are some preventative measures that we can be taking for heat stress? Yeah. Heat stress in cattle is, uh, it's it's multifactorial and it can and if those cattle i think the biggest thing is getting those cattle uh acclimated to the heat over a period of time versus what happened in kansas was that heat came on uh in addition to an an onset of uh really high humidity it came on basically overnight and those cattle did not have time to acclimate and that's why they were just they just couldn't uh I guess, couldn't adapt to that and they succumbed to it, unfortunately. So uh, with cattle, I think it's, uh, it's good to, good to remember what cattle are. So they're ruminants. Um, So they have to eat this grass that we can't, that we can't consume. They eat it. It goes through all their four compartments of their stomach. They have microbes in their rumen that help break that down. They ruminate um, and help. it, It churns that, uh, that plant matter. Um, and there, those bacteria are able to extract that nutrition out of that plant. Uh, all of that, 
that entire process of them just digesting their meals increases their body temperature. And so we need to, we need to take that into consideration as you're acclimating your cattle to whatever environment they could be. Um, the biggest thing, uh, so if say you're getting, um, so like if you have a feedlot and you're getting cows that or cattle that are from like Eastern Colorado, we don't, we, I, anything above like 15% humidity, I, I get stressed. So I imagine that the cows get stressed. Um, so if you have cattle that are used to no humidity and they come to low humidity, the ideal thing to do is, uh, make sure you do it at times when the daytime temperature and the nighttime temperature, there's actually a difference. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of, um, like, so say you said you had 108 days, hopefully it's dropping to at least 70 at night so that you can bring that temperature down. So what we're, what we know about cows is they need that, uh, that decrease in temperature, uh, at night to help acclimate themselves to that high heat and humidity. And so if you, um, obviously we can't control the weather. And so, uh, some things that you can do to mitigate heat stress is one shade. Uh, so if you, if you have trees in your pasture, that's, uh, you'll see the cows will move there during the heat of the day. Um, wind or air movement always helps. Uh, so Nebraska doesn't generally have an issue with wind. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wind also something you can't control, but say you, um, I know there's, uh, some people are getting into like uh, hoop barns and keeping their cows in uh, enclosed systems like that, making sure you have uh, maybe you need fan extra fans to help move that air uh, to make sure that the air movement is helping um, lots of water. So uh, if you have your animals outside in a pasture, uh, you know, as long as as long as they have plenty of access to water, that's great. If you have an enclosed uh, area having extra stock tanks, making sure that all the animals have access to, to, to that water throughout the day, especially during the heat of the day. Those are the biggest things that we can do. Um, another thing, this is more towards feedlots than it is for cow calf, but if you have a higher concentrate diet, it, uh, you can actually de increase the roughage in that diet and that makes the digestion process not so stressful. And so you can decrease the heat stress by giving them a less, uh, a less hot ration. So those are a lot of things. Um, it all depends on the region. You know, I, we talk about regionality and I think that applies to this too. Um, so I don't expect people to put fans in the middle of a pasture, but maybe you can put a stock tank out and make sure people, you make sure your animals have, uh, have access or equal access to water. Um, so it really depends on your operation on making sure that we keep these animals as, uh, comfortable as possible in, temperatures that even make us super uncomfortable. Well, and I think there's some timeliness to it too. We found on some of our super hot days, we didn't have wind. It was, you know, cause of course yeah. that's what the world's going to do to us. Right. And so our windmills ran out, you know, there wasn't any water left. So we had to move them to new pastures, but we really thought about nighttime, you know, yeah, that was when we had to go out and go ahead and push those cows. There was no way we could do it during the day. Yep. No, and that's, uh, if you, um, one of the recommendations we have in the BQA program is not, is trying not to transport or work your animals during the heat of the day because of all the things that we just talked about. And so, um, some of the feed yards that I worked with when I was in vet school, 
we'd be processing cows at two in the morning because that was the coolest time of the day. And so um, cattle, not cows, cattle at two in the morning. And so uh, we may have to adjust our schedules to make sure that those cattle are, are as comfortable as possible. So for a lot of the seed stock guys, we've got fall calving starting now coming up. Is there anything for calving in this high heat that people should be prepared for? And I ask oh. personally, because we've never calved in this kind of high heat before. And I am, you know, I don't know oh. what to expect those girls out there calving when it's a hundred degrees. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Uh, first thing I, we've already talked about it. So having that water access, I think the big, I think one big thing is pay, making sure we're paying attention to those babies once they're on the ground. So if they, uh, if they aren't nursing well, I mean, uh, calves less than I'd say a month, their major, I mean, their major and only nutri nutrient resource is their mom. So if they're not milking well, or maybe she gets mastitis, that calf is going to dehydrate super, super quickly. So I think paying attention to those calves, making sure, um, uh, there are some different ways you can look for dehydration in calves, uh, have some electrolytes on stock in stock, just to make sure that you have that. Um, I think another thing, depending on if you're in the pasture versus if say you're dry lotting your animals, uh, you can decrease that radiant heat by adding a layer of sawdust or straw in that uh, enclosed environment. So that can help decrease the heat and minimize, or I guess mitigate some of the heat stress. Uh, I think shade again, if shade, if you can, if you can do that and, um, I mean, depending on if you're getting any of these random rainstorms, making sure that they have access to dry, uh, dry ground so that those calves aren't uh, getting that are, aren't predisposed to getting scours or any other uh, type of illness that might dehydrate them or make them sick. Ah. So one other thing I wanted to make sure we kind of talked a little bit about was the antimicrobial feed additives. Yeah. And I just love to hear your thoughts and when people should be considering working those in. Oh, that's a great question. This also, again, everything's regional, right? So it right. depends on what your, it depends on what your, your risks are. So a lot of our, um, our antimicrobials that are in feed, and we mentioned this before, it, 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 it requires a veterinary feed directive to, or it's a prescription uh, to get those even um, ordered at the feed mill and something to pay attention to with VFDs. If you ever go, if you ever need one, uh, these do require at least two years of record keeping you need. So if you only use it once, you still need to keep those records for two years in case FDA decides to come and they can, they are doing audits of VFDs. And so the veterinarian, the feed mill and the producer all have to have records of that same prescription. So this is a big plug for making sure you have good record keeping. For sure. <laughs> but uh, a lot of our antibiotics that are in feed are uh, prescribed for, say, um, like a BRD outbreak, so pneumonia. Uh, and so sometimes, um, sometimes it'll get used like as cattle are transitioning from uh, like they, you have some weaned calves that just got into the feed yard. They're already high stress. Um, they might be high, yeah, higher risk for getting BRD. So the veterinarian might incorporate some antimicrobial into that feed to reduce the risk of them developing uh, bovine respiratory disease. So that's one. Um, 
I I'm pretty sure there's an anaplas label. Hold on. So anaplas animal or people in areas with anaplasmosis float anaplasmosis may talk to their veterinarians about uh, if that is something that they need to be incorporating, even though I just found out at a couple, a couple weeks ago that, that, that is not, at least from a science-based perspective, that's not necessarily um, helpful. Uh, so it, it all depends on your veterinarian. So it all comes down to what your veterinarian uh, thinks the risk is and thinks, uh, and what treatments might be most impactful to your herd. But uh, I think the big thing with um, anything going into the feed is we have to like anticipate what's coming. So um, if you already have a, like a pneumonia outbreak going through your calves, that may not be good enough because it's going to take a long time for them to eat enough of the antimicrobial to get into their system to try to treat. So again, this is thinking ahead. Like um, I know we're going to wean our calves, say mid-August and you know, it's forecasting that we're going to have a monsoon. So one, maybe you move your weaning date, but two, if you, if that's the only time you can wean them, maybe that's, uh, maybe you talk to your veterinarian and plan ahead and, um, decide if that might be a good route for you. Yeah, absolutely. So on the opposite end then of the antimicrobials, what about probiotics? When do those make sense to be mixing in? Ooh, probiotics are really a hot topic right now. And, uh, Honestly, like we have some studies that say they help, some studies that say they're neutral. Uh, so this is also another, um, I like from a human standpoint, there's a lot more studies in humans on probiotics. And uh, I think it depends on the strain of what probiotics are in there. Uh, this is this is one where I would, I'm going to, I'm going to plug the nutritionist. I'm going to have them come in and talk about this because they uh, there's so many products out there. And I think that's, that get, can get very daunting when you're getting into the business and understanding all these different process products. But, uh, if I were doing this for my cattle herd, honestly, I'd be calling my nutritionist friends and being like, Hey, um, this is my type of operation. This is how many I do, uh, or this is how many I'm raising. Um, what, what products do you think are going to help improve our, uh, improve our cattle herd? And so, uh, BQA recommends this. We call it a resource team. And so it's all these people offside, uh, off the farm. So um, veterinarian, nutritionist, extension agent, maybe it's, uh, you know, for people who are just getting into, uh, into the Black Hereford business, Jen, you and Logan are on the resource team because you've been in it, you've been in it for a long time and you have your experience that you can help teach them. So make sure that you have that resource team available. And so if you have all these specific questions, you can call, you can call that person right away. Well, and I, you know, it's, it's been a bit of humble pie the last six <laughs> months since we moved because a year ago, you know, we would have definitely turned our nose up to a nutrition. Like we have five generations of knowledge yeah. on our cows in this place. We don't need some outsider to come tell us what to do. And then, you know, we picked up the whole place and we moved it 600 miles and now we have no clue. Yeah. And so it has been super valuable to have a nutritionist to figure out why our cows are trying to bankrupt us with salt intake, you know? So really, truly, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, you know, there's just something, some questions I have worth every penny, worth every penny to talk to your vet and a nutritionist and get that information nailed down. I mean, I think it, we're always learning, right? And uh, 
I mean, there could be new products coming out. There could be a new, you know, maybe we have new technology to understand digestion better or something like that. Like, I think that's the, that's what I find exciting, at least in my job. Like I'm always learning. And uh, one of the biggest um, benefits of me being in this job is meeting people like you, people like all those, like I said, nutritionists, veterinarians uh, across the spectrum within the cattle industry. Because if I don't know any, if I don't know something, I can call somebody who does. And so um, I think, yeah, making sure you have that, like I said, the resource team. And even if you don't have somebody, I mean, you, we can always find it. It's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. We can always find somebody. (laughs) Well, and here's what I'll say, ask the professional, don't just post in like the cattle talk Facebook page, because those responses while entertaining are not super accurate. Well, it's anecdotal. It goes from anecdotal evidence to what's been proven. And, uh, and those big Facebook groups, I'm on a few of them. And I, I really enjoy some of the, um, experiences that people have shown, but again, we go back to that regionality. So how you treat an animal with scours in Alabama may not be the same as they do on the, uh, Sandhills in Nebraska, because the humidity is different. You have to treat more often. Uh, you have to worry about, you know, other things. So I, I just, uh, yeah, having those, having those experts who know your region, your cattle operation is really, it's really going to help you succeed. Absolutely. Well, any last advice you'd like to give us or anything you want to plug before I let you go? Honestly, I, uh, this has been fantastic. I I love the, the, the breadth of all the subjects that we talked about. Um, and I think it shows just, uh, when people, when people are getting into the cattle business, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's not, it's not just, you put cows on a pasture and, um, and you, uh, and you just watch them. Like there are all these things you have to consider when you're taking care of these animals. I think, uh, I am going to plug, um, we do have a program that BQA co-sponsors here at NCBA. It's called Stockmanship and Stewardship. And, uh, these are regional events that we do every year uh, all across the country. And the next one is actually this week. I'm going to head to, uh, in Alabama and we have a section with our, uh, stockmanship experts. So Dr. Ron Gill from Texas A&M and Kurt Pate from, uh, I guess Kurt Pate consulting, he's up in Montana. Uh, they come and they do live, live handling demonstrations and show people how to work their cattle in a low stress manner. And then, uh, depending on the region, you go through, uh, different topics that are pertinent to that region. And then in the end, you get BQA certified. And so these events are really fantastic for meeting new, uh, meeting ranchers from your region, but also from other states. Uh, Our last one in Kansas, I think we had nine states all traveled to Kansas for our our stockmanship and stewardship event. So that's really cool. Uh, But if, if your listeners are around uh, Auburn, Alabama, we are going to be at the university there uh, August 12th and 13th. My days are running together, Uh, but we are going to have a virtual stockmanship and stewardship event on November 1st. And so that is free, open to anybody who wants to learn. And we're going to have, again, Ron and Kurt are going to be on there talking about stockmanship. uh, And we're going to have lots of industry experts trying to provide more uh, more tips on how to make your cattle herd as uh, as good as it can be. Well, and from a seed stock perspective, you guys, you'd also be getting the side benefit of networking. Absolutely. That's how we move bulls. 
Yes, absolutely. I think, I think, yeah. yeah. Learn the stockmanship and meet those people that could be potential customers. Sure. So yeah, stockmanshipandstewardship.org is the website that you can go for that. And uh, you can check out the events there. And then, yeah, any of our, uh, any of our opera or any of BQA's resources is are available on bqa.org. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you my email to jherman at beef.org. Uh, you can put that in the show notes. If people have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, if you need, um, if you need one of those resource team members that uh, you can't find, I can try to help you find them. So I can c- connect you with our state BQA coordinators, anything we can do to help. Uh, I think that's um, one of my favorite things about the cattle industry is how we're all trying to help each other uh, do the best we can. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time. I know that you are crazy busy and this has been, I think, super interesting. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.